You're listening to the Scars and Guitars podcast series, and my name is Andrew Mackay-Smith. The interview subject I've got coming up for you, his name is Ivar Bjornsson, and he's from an outfit called Enslaved. The reason for the conversation is to promote their 2017 released album titled E. Let's have a listen to what he has to say. Here we go. E is Enslaved's 14th studio album. Tell us all about it. Yeah, it's uh, an album that was uh, written during the last year, uh, immediately after the first uh, uh, slab of, of touring for In Times, our previous album from 2015. Uh, we started, I started writing writing the songs for the album. Um, it derives from a concept that was developed around the letter E, not from the Latin alphabet, but from the Old Norse alphabet, which is known as the runes. Uh, most made popular in in pop in uh, in today's society through the Vikings uh, you know but that's that's a pretty short historical period uh, and but the, the runes themselves were used many hundred years before that back dating all the way back to, to perhaps the, the Bronze Age 10,000 years ago uh, it was first and foremost like any alphabet used uh, as a, for writing so they would, you know, use it to, to make notations like this guy owes me three cows, uh, promises to pay them back by next summer and so on. Uh, and But they also had an esoteric use or, or uh, in, in popular history referred to as a magical uh, purpose uh, for divination, you know, bringing luck on, on crops and, and uh, protection while on sea and, and, and uh, cursing your enemies and all that stuff. Uh, and, and they are... 24 of them uh, representing different concepts and this one we went into the 14th which is appropriate I guess for the 14th album um, that's called Evas E-H-W-A-Z or just E and that represents on the surface literally it means and depicts a horse uh, from the Minos mythology the most um, famous if you will horses Sleipnir Odin's horse the eight-legged uh, and the concept that this rune deals with is it's basically de- dependence and uh, positive positive dependence and, and constructive relationships, which is, I guess, natural for for um, Bronze Age people to associate with, with with the horse. It must have been quite a discovery when they were able to tame them and and, and sort of utilize them, moving around. And, Escaping their enemies, attacking their enemies, uh, whatever, and, and even you know, it saved you from starvation if it came to that. Uh, and I guess a lot of, of of deep philosophical concepts developed from that relationship. And that's the that's the room that we used to develop the concept. It's about uh, enslaved is typically typically a band that's been exploring individuals, um, and um, um, and now it was a bit. It just seemed like the right time to explore that that relationship outside of of just individualism. It's still about individualism, I guess, but how it relates to to the surrounding world. Yeah, it's a, it's a good point you raised there too about the runes. I think because they are very much in vogue on on programs such as The Last Kingdom, which is derived from a Bernard Cornwell book, and uh, I believe it's streaming on Netflix or in Australia. Here it might be on Stan. I'm not quite sure. But um, what's your take on um, the way that some of these uh, classical Norse and uh, Scandinavian aspects of culture have been thrust into the limelight? 
I think it's positive. It's it's all in all, it's positive uh, because it's <clears throat> it's finally starting to challenge a little bit. You know, it, they're they're starting out softly, I guess, uh, because they also they have <clears throat> it, it's 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 part of popular culture, and then you have to take into into consideration that it's. Um, has to take on a certain tabloid uh, format, I guess. So we were always focused, focus mostly on what sells, and that's still going to be uh, angry guys, you know, uh, fighting other angry guys, which is just a, a small fraction of of this history. Um, and as we talked about, just you know, the the, the portrayal of of the Viking Age as and as the actual Norse history is is also very um, <clears throat> inaccurate because there's so much more than just these four or five hundred years. Um, um, but I think it's positive because it raises the question. It makes people discuss discuss it. And uh, like when I went to, I don't know if you're familiar with this festival. It's called Midgardsblut in in Norway. No, not familiar uh, actually, mate. Tell us all about it. It's. Um, it's sort of a you know a metal festival that's crossed over into uh, a historical festival in a sense. It's on on historical grounds in Norway, with uh, Viking burial mounds. Uh, they have recreated a, uh, a festive hall, one of the, the the halls that they had in the Viking Age, for you know, celebratory uh, rituals and so on. And that's rebuilt on site where they also have concerts and then you know then you have the classical metal part that you know the, the stage and the bands come in to play yeah. but and they have a lot of reenactors uh, and, and 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 historical societies and everything's just mixed together beautifully and, and they also have a sort of an academic part and this year there was a lot of interesting things going on like like a presentation of research into women's role in in uh, in um, Historic times, Christian times, and so on. So, I guess on the surface, it's it's what it's they use these uh, sort of battle reenactments and so on as, uh, as something that attracts people. I, I met people, quite a few people from Australia there actually who went there, and uh, and then you then you go under the surface and you have these academic discussions and, and big panel debates. Uh, you know about both. They had one called like. Uh, women's role in in historical societies and today's metal scene, which is a pretty interesting thing. Um, so I think all in all positive. It's but the, I, I sometimes of course you wish that you could get rid of the stereotypes a little bit faster and, and sort of get into more of the cultural significance, philosophy, and I guess most importantly on on the whole um, me- mental well-being aspect of. Of of getting getting away from this linear monotheistic uh, thing that's dominating our society sure. today, mm. creating so many problems for so many people. Mm. Well, I think people seek to identify with long-reaching aspects of their culture, don't they? In this society, which is very, particularly in the West, very much driven by capitalism and globalism and the like. And um, look, I've really enjoyed the Bernard Cromwell uh, books and I've really enjoyed his series. As I mentioned, it was on Netflix and or on Stan here in Australia, sorry, one of the two. Um, but yeah, no, you raise a very good point there, particularly uh, about the role of women as well. So you're finding when you go to some of these, whether they're festivals or these events, that the role uh, that women played, not just in um, historical Scandinavian society, but 
in music, and particularly the music that we all love, metal, is being discussed as well. Yeah, I, I think it's. Uh, I, I think it's it's an interesting point because it's it can be not only for um, you know directly you hear these stories on on how people you know uh, w- women how how they what their experience is like in the scene. Um, one thing is to is is the practicality of going to festivals. I think the metal society isn't the worst one, but going to festivals and and uh, and I talk talk to women when they go. If if they want to crowd surf, they have to put on you know army boots and they have to sort of put on an extra set of uh, un, you know like undergarments and so on because people when they, when a woman is is crowd surfing on top, they start like feeling her up and stuff. And I, I'm shocked. I, I wouldn't like even imagine that people can do stuff like that. I didn't know that they had to make all these precautions to go to a metal show, which is fucking horrible. Uh, and a lot of them don't want to go to the front of the stage because people, you know, they, they use the opportunities to do this and that. Um, so I think that's the pra- practical side of it. But there's, there's a, a broader perspective here that that's about um, people sort of taking taking their opportunities to, to treat people differently. And that's, that's just stupid. And I, th- I wish more people in the metal scene that had uh, these, these opinions um, would, would speak out. And, yeah, for and sure. Use their well, I wish, the, I wish the people that did that sort of stuff would just piss off completely. I mean, I'm the father of two daughters, but that's not the reason I hold this view. I mean, it's just at the end of the day, we're all fans of metal and whether you're in, you want to watch Venom or Venom Inc or, enslaved we all have a right to be there whether we want to crowd surf or be up the front of the 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 audience and the mosh pit we all have a right to be in the same place without getting felt up i'm sure a male wouldn't want to be felt up by another male in the the audience not 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 unsolicited at least anyway there you go yeah Hmm. it's it's like you know i have two daughters too and so i guess the only consolation for now is that as long as they're not into hip-hop that would actually Probably be worse, but uh, agreed. Agreed. <laughs> yeah, agreed. So yeah no, I can't stand it. Yeah. One thing is just is these like big statements and everything, but I think when it comes down to it's like dudes when listening to other dudes say like bragging about stuff like that, it's easy to just you know one thing is not laughing about it and being like, hey, you're a cool, dude. But I guess way too often we keep our mouth shut and go and just think like what an idiot to walk away. It, it would be be easy to say like you shouldn't do that or if 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 you do that you should have your ass kicked or something like that just just make a little bit of a statement that you think it's really stupid because I think I think that that would actually make a little bit of a change if if like regular dudes in the scene would just tell their mates that that's not even funny that's such a good that's, point regular people who go to gigs and say to their mates look stop being a dickhead don't feel up chicks yeah. just because you're in a position where you you know, pretend, you know, without being gross or weird about it, pretend that they're your mother or your sister or your daughter or your wife. And how would you like them to be treated if they're in that sort of, you know, close proximity to males that they don't know? Exactly. You know? Easy. That's it. So, mate, I, I digress and, and change gear for a sec. I, I want to talk about Enslaved's longevity. Um, look, I can... I might be wrong here, but I think you guys have been going as a band since 1992. 
but you've survived at least as a band for 14 studio albums, which is incredible, especially yourself. And, and I might mispronounce one of your band mates' names here, so apologies if I do in advance, but Grudel Kilson. Um, yep. Okay, awesome. Um, what's the secret to your longevity? Because you've survived numerous changes to not just personnel in the band, but enormous changes to the musical metal landscape as well. Yeah, I think the the solution is just the the, the mission statement um, and the the plan from the beginning on was very easy, and I think that was due to maybe to young age, but also to um, a very high degree of enthusiasm. We decided like the, the, the ambition from the beginning, from the get go, was to make music that we want to listen to ourselves. We want to have a mix of our own record collections, our own perceptions of how music um, should be for us um, and sort of the lyrical themes that had meaning for us. And the, you know, the measurement of success would be how close we came to, to achieving that. Uh, nothing more, nothing less. And that's still what we operate by. So um, whether and, and I think that made us very resistant to times of, of uh, frustration and so on. Because, you know, if we, if we had a, some albums or a, uh, and line up at a certain point that didn't feel right or so on. That didn't feel like the end of anything. It just felt like, okay, now we're sort of straying a little bit uh, away from that that path that we want to be on. But hey, that's what happens when you're searching. So, sometimes we get closer and sometimes, you know, we get further away from what we're looking for. And uh, and that's the whole process. That's the process we enjoy in itself. And, and I guess that that's a great motivation. Uh, also, I think that we developed quite early on uh, a relationship that's, you know, Grutler, he, he tends to refer to us more as brothers than, than best friends. Um, sometimes we're all brothers and best friends, uh, but we're always, always brothers. And, and that sort of makes that glue stick. You know, it's, it's like family, like in periods, I'll be more interested in, in topics uh, that he's not that interested in, or we'll have, we'll go in and, and explore different uh, Musical interests, uh, there'll be different situations in our family lives, you know, in our lives outside the bands and all that stuff. But we always have that glue that, that brings us together in Enslaved. And that's sort of, I think some bands get stressed out when they discover that that the whole thing, like look, talk and, and, and say the same things all the time. Uh, when that sort of starts to dissolving after 10 to 15 years, the, people feel that they're drifting apart. But what's happening is actually just life. Uh, and and recognizing that, I think, just makes it even stronger. So, mate, you are a noted guitarist. You're an excellent guitarist. I wish to compliment you on that. I'm also a guitarist and a bass player. And, in fact, in 2011, Metal Sucks named you as uh, one of the best modern metal guitarists. So who are your inspirations on the guitar? Yeah, the inspiration is, is, is quite um, varied, I would uh, dare say. Um, we, I, I, I have, like from the classic, um, classic rock scene. I would say King, uh, Robert Fripp for King Crimson, David nice. Gilmore. Excellent influence to have. Yeah, because they're both kind of guitarists. That I think their most impressive work is is being expressive. Of course, they have that technique in uh, underneath that where they can do amazing stuff uh, and scales and and sweep and and all that stuff, uh, but. That's not what really makes them stand out. It's 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 the 
it's the feeling that they play with that is that is everything. And uh, so that's why I admire them so much. And a rhythm guitarist, I have a few, you know, it's the first Mayhem guitarist, Euronymous, from the Mysterious Dom Satanas, because really, really expanded on what you could do with the guitar in heavy metal, uh, at least for me. It was a real, real eye-opener and lots more of the usage, usage of the chords. Um, then I would say also maybe an odd one would be Tom G. Warrior from Celtic Frost, because like being a brilliant guitarist isn't always what you think when you're listening to those Celtic Frost albums, because it's, it's kind of like, it's all over the place. And trying to make like a precise annotation or tablature of what he's doing would maybe look a little bit like a piece of modern art, because it's so weird and, and wrong in a sense. But, but just that whole point of playing with your attitude and being able to translate that into sound and, and sort of circumventing technique in such a, um, brilliant and convincing ways has also been very inspiring from from the beginning. So that's a that's a little bit of a bouquet, and, and I guess, of course, I, I do enjoy listening to uh, Steve I and and uh, and Ingo Malmsted in particular. Those two guys just because sometimes it's fun to just drop your jaw and and be to shred. <laughs> yeah. Exactly, it's like wow, is that even possible? I, I saw in Italy a gig by Ingo Malmsted like seven years ago. And even though he was, I guess, over his, his his height in his career, it's still just ridiculous to watch like how you can do stuff like that mm. with your hands. It's fantastic. So I must ask, if you're a fan of Robert Fripp, um, Larry Lalonde famously was, uh, before he joined Primus, was in The Possessed. Did you get into Larry Lalonde's playing at all? Because he's always reminded me a lot of the way Robert Fripp approaches his guitar lines in King Crimson. I should say the way that Larry Lalonde approaches his guitar in Primus reminds me a lot of the way that Robert Fripp approaches his guitar playing in King Crimson. It's fantastic. Uh, processed. I haven't really gone and studied the particulars of of uh, his guitar playing outside of Possessed and Primus. I have to be honest. Is there recordings by just him? Is that what you're saying? No, no. I'm I'm talking about the way that he was a full-on metal guy in one of the first death metal bands. It, you know, the Possessed, of course, as we all know, released Seven Churches, which was a seminal death metal album. But all of a sudden, in about 1990 or 1991 or thereabouts, he came out with either Suck on This or Frizzle From. A massive Primus fan. I'll, I'll let everybody know that now. Yeah. Um, being a bass player, of course, Les Claypool's one of the guys that I look up to. But Larry Lalonde is a guitarist. So I, I always I, I had Seven Churches as a young fella and. Loved the way he played on that and then thought, is that the same guy that's on the Possessed exactly. albums, that's on the Primus albums? And I couldn't believe that it was the same guy because his approach was completely different. But being an old King Crimson fan, I always found that Larry Lalonde's playing reminded me a lot of the way that Robert Fripp played as well. And you mentioned Robert Fripp and I guess the link between Robert Fripp and Heavy Metal would have to be, in my view, Larry Lalonde's excellent guitar playing. And, mate, I can actually hear a, a little... Now that you mention it, I can actually hear a little bit of Robert Fripp's guitar playing in yours. Perhaps, yeah. I've been just been listening to it so much. Um, and uh, went to a few King Crimson gigs and, and ended up being just one of those guys, the nerds in the front row, just staring at Robert Fripp the entire gig and thinking, like, what? How's that even possible? And I think it's, uh, it's that sort of mix of... of of basic techniques and, and sort of the idea behind it mixed with that he has a sort of a way of, of 
overruling in a sense the expected uh, with, with some of the, the things he does in his leads that's that's i guess maybe he brought it in from jazz or something but uh, it's it's very very liberating to hear the way they're treating scales and so on hey man sorry talking about lib- liberated uh, and 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 free art uh, we have to go into the last question sorry because uh, sorry mate. the schedule yeah. is nothing other than liberating all right okay Final question for you, mate, would be: What's your relationship been like with Australian audiences over the years? First, it was a relationship of long-distance longing <laughs> and frustration, which kept building because we we almost went there for such, and it was ridiculous. I think it was like four or five times where we got to the point where we almost packed our bags uh, to get ready, and then stuff got cancelled. And finally, we we got to go there in 2013, which was amazing. It's just uh, the best time uh, ever, and we got to go back to last fall, which was also great. And now we're really, really, really hoping that we're going to be able to come uh, not too far into 2018. Because we feel like when we first got there, the, the, the feeling was of coming back to a place that you've been many times. It was one of those weird times when you, when you start a conversation and it feels like you've been having it all night. Uh, it was great. And uh, so, yeah. We have to come back. It's as easy as that. Mm-hmm. We love the, the the atmosphere there. The humor is extremely compatible with the, with the Norwegian. Uh, the same interest for alcoholic beverages and uh, <laughs> and the music. Agreed, mate. Well, look, I better let you go, but I want to congratulate you. You're an excellent guitarist, and you're not just an excellent guitarist, you're an excellent musician. Of course, you've got your um, album that was released this year, Bard Spec, uh, through By Norse, so I would love to ask you a few questions about that, but we've run out of time. E is an excellent album as well. I'd love to catch up with you when you come to Australia, and I'll certainly be in the audience if you do tour at the very least. Excellent. See you there, then. No worries, mate. All the very best. Catch ya. You You've been listening to the Scars and Guitars podcast series and my name is Andrew Mackay-Smith. That interview subject was Ivar Bjornsson from the outfit Enslaved. Thanks so much for listening.